0: Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the virtual CISO Moment wrap-up for Friday, December 30th, 2022. Ohio Supreme Court says insurance policy does not cover ransomware attack on software. This comes to us from Jurist. The Ohio Supreme Court on last Tuesday unanimously overruled a judgment of the Ohio Second District Court of Appeals that moved that there must be direct physical loss or physical damage in the company's computer software for insurance policy coverage. This is a case between the greater Dayton medical billing software maker, EMOI, and its insurance service provider, Lansing, Michigan-based owner's insurance company. The latter stated that the insurance contract unambiguously stated only, quote, direct physical loss, end quote, or direct physical damage, end quote, to media would be covered under the insurance policy. This is almost a little bit by splitting hairs. They don't really uh, say that information stored there has, as they say, any physical presence, even though it could be argued that on hard drives, just the magnetic differences there on the hard drive, for example, would be a physical presence. I think that what we're seeing here is a movement for claims such as this against uh, some other uh, in favor of insurance companies. According to the article, this is setting a trend of exclusion from the private sector and liability insurance policies for cyber attack incidents. So there is a surge in interest for specialist cyber insurance to cover instances such as ransomware. Interestingly enough, the um, United States government, I think we've mentioned this before, has started a study in September to assess whether it should offer a backstop or other safeguard mechanisms to make sure that cyber attacks with catastrophic repercussions are actually insured, So it may take some government in from in intervention to make this all work. Because along those notes, cyber attacks could soon become impossible to ensure. This coming from TechSpot. The cost of cyber attacks will soon become so high that insurance companies will not be able to do business with the affected parties anymore. This is according to Mario Greco. For the second year in a row, 2022 is ending with more than $100 billion worth of claims for natural catastrophes. Cyber is the true risk to watch, however. It's a very interesting premise they say that the only way to guarantee that insurance companies will continue to do business in the technology and private market is to set up some sort of private system, private, rather public system to better absorb and handle systemic risks. So we were just talking about that a moment ago. Um, these risks, according to the article, cannot be quantified, must be treated by like earthquakes or terror attacks when it comes to insurance costs for private companies. And again, Greco, uh, who is Zurich's CEO, praise the United States government for what we just mentioned a moment ago about how Washington is looking at different ways for a federal insurance response to cyber threats, for example, like the colonial pipeline incident. A lot of movement in the cybersecurity insurance arena. i are going to see that in 2023. That might be a good prediction for next year, right? Here's one that Kind of triggered my professional curiosity for a reason that I'll mention in just a moment. How to get the most out of UEBA. If you're not familiar with that acronym, it can stand for either User Entity Behavior Analytics or User Endpoint Behavior Analytics, depending upon who you're speaking to. In some circles, there was also just UBA, so User Behavior Analytics. A little bit of a confusion, but this is a technology which didn't really I think, lived up to all that it promised. And so this is a decent article. They mentioned two reasons why. One is that users don't always follow rules. And of course, the whole point between UABA is that it will, based on behavioral aspects of a user, might be able to use some AI to determine threats, such as folks maybe not logging in at the right time or something very simple like that. But a quote here from the article UEBA failed to deliver its promise to dramatically increase accuracy and reduce false positive alerts due to a fundamentally mistaken assumption that user behavior can be characterized by statistical quantities such as the average daily number of activities. The article also goes on to note that UEBA only works with the right data. Another quote here: Most failed implementations never pulled in identity data or key applications, and without identity, there is no user. That doesn't mean that there isn't a market for this or or cases for this. There is a section here on use cases in the article. A little bit of an interesting reading, and the reason why it piqued my professional curiosity is that several years ago, for an organization that some of you might be familiar for, called CISOs Connect, I was the lead author on their first white paper, and I don't remember the series that they called it, but the the subject was UEBA at the time. And I have to admit that I was not knowledgeable about UEBA at the time. And I learned a lot by doing that research. Now this was arguably probably six or seven years ago. And yes, the technology did not live up to the promises that I remember when writing that paper. You might still be able to find it somewhere. Uh, I didn't on a quick search that I, when I looked for it. But um, I'm sure if you go out to CISOs Connect, you'll be able to find it as well, if you remember. From Bitdefender, researchers at VPN Mentor have discovered a data leak affecting over 100,000 students of the world-renowned education and platform McGraw-Hill. Of course, McGraw-Hill has been around for seemingly forever, I seem to remember being in kindergarten and using some of their materials, and I, it's been a few years since I was in kindergarten. According to this, this might fa- sound a little familiar as well, the data breach stemmed from two, what, unsecured Amazon web service S3 buckets belonging to the online education platform. Leaked over 22 terabytes of data and over 117 million files, so let's dig in a little bit deeper here. What do we have in the files here? They say that the exposed information includes Excel sheets, listing student names, email addresses, and grades, files showing students completed assignments, grades, and performance reports, files showing syllabi from teachers, reading materials for courses, and private digital keys and source code from the company. Now, researchers advise students or individuals who are concerned about the breach and how it may directly impact their privacy to reach out to McGraw-Hill for more information. And then today's final article comes from Forbes, Six Ways to Pivot Hiring Strategies to Attract Cybersecurity Talent. This is authored by Christian Espinosa, who is the author of The Smartest Person in the Room. And longtime listeners might remember that he was on with us two months ago, November 1st, 2022. It was a very interesting conversation. I would encourage you to go out and check that out. But his article here is talking about cybersecurity talent and hiring and some some strategies and ideas. And I really pinged on this because my firm is in the middle of recruiting right now. And, you know, ironically, one of the candidates early on asked, well, what is your ideal candidate? And without missing a beat, I said, trainability. Looking at someone that has the basis to be able to train them in what we need to have done, and also it will help them on their growth trajectory. So some of the items that Espinosa talks about here in his article really resonated. The first thing he mentions is really interesting here. Um, This is according to a survey that the soft skills were at the top of the list, followed by cloud computing, security controls, and coding skills. And I, I think that that is very, very telling. I think that that gets into the trainability area. So I want to go through the six that he has listed here. Number one, learn from past hirings, whether successful or not. And this is true. You Just because a previous hire didn't work out the way that was planned, that's okay. There might be some things that you can pivot on as far as uh, your strategy for hiring going forward. I've gone through that before, but sometimes... I, for whatever reasons, new hires just don't work out. And I've been on both sides of the equation for that um, in in my career. And it's a lot of times it's no fault. I used to um, think that, particularly in one situation where it wasn't the best fit that I was in for a little while, um, that maybe I could have vetted the organization a little bit better. But in hindsight, I really couldn't have. So um, this leads us to number two, why in the, the touch point when you're talking with your um, contact at the place that you're applying for. I don't want to use the word interview because as Espinosa says here an interview is a conversation. This is something that both you and the candidate can learn from each other. I, I, as I said, I'm in the process of this and, and every touch point is a conversation. I don't believe in, questions are just that. And if you've listened to the podcast, particularly, um the interview sections where uh, we bring on guests i'll ask a couple of leading questions but it always always then turns into a discussion about something it's not a simple one back and one forth, and so everybody learns something from that in 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 our episodes i learn from the the guests that come on i think that they learn from me but then you all learn as well too because you're listening to the conversation and not just listening to facts Number three, and I do struggle with this, sometimes don't rush to hire. Got some needs going on right now in our firm, and boy, I'd like to be able to fill them, but I'm just taking the time. It's gonna take a significant amount of time to get the process done right. Number four, find someone who matches your culture. And I, I think that this is, again, coming down to, for my example, the trainability. If someone is open to the idea of trainability and also collaboration, then that is such a big part of our culture at VCs of Services. We we don't operate in silos. All of the folks that work with me, I don't say work for me because we all work together as a team, uh, We we don't work in silos. We share information, we share ideas, and we're a lot stronger because of that. Number five, keep in mind here. This is going to sound familiar. Keep in mind that a highly motivated individual is teachable. They can develop their soft and technical skills under you. Now, I have to emphasize again that when I was asked that question, I hadn't seen um, Christian's uh, um, uh, article on this at the time when I said teachability is what, what I'm looking for. So that's really, really resonated with me on that one. And then finally, number six, recruit early by partnering with educational institutions so that those coming into the field have exposure to your organization. Totally agree with that. Many of you know that VCSISO Services uh, sponsors a scholarship with Middle Tennessee State University here just south of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I am also an advisory member for their information systems and analytics program. I believe in keeping that constant touch point with the university and helping out there whenever I can. Interesting article. Hope you enjoy it. And finally to end 2022 and to bridge into 2023, I have my predictions. You know that on Fridays I have over the last several weeks been reading other folks' predictions. And opining on them. I did ask on LinkedIn for some input on predictions. I didn't really get much of a response there, so I'm not including any of that. But I'm going to go through ones that I've jotted down over the last week, week and a half. These are sort of unfinished thoughts. So if it sounds raw, it's because they are. The first one that came to mind was AI issues. You know, I posted on LinkedIn today a question about IP tables. And somebody said, well, why don't you just go to OpenAI and ask the question? I'm trying to do something that I'm sure you can do with IP tables, with routing and all that. And I've, you know, I've been a network pro for 30 years. I understand routing. I understand Linux. But you have to get the syntax right. And I'm sure that this can be done, but haven't been able to figure it out yet. Um I won't get into what it is, exactly what I'm trying to do. I've got a LinkedIn post out there if you want to see more on the details of what I'm trying to do. But anyway, one of the suggestions was uh, just ask OpenAI. I'm like, well, that's a great suggestion because I've seen where other people have done stuff like that. And, well, it hadn't really worked out for me right now because every time I ask the question or some variant of it, it gives me an error. So either I'm not asking correctly or um, the system is down or artificial intelligence can't figure out what I'm trying to do. I'm afraid it might be number three. But so there will be AI issues. And what I mean by that is that we should never rely totally on AI or even partially. I'm afraid that in some instances, I know some folks are using it for creative stuff like marketing and all that, which I think that as a start is okay. But the more we surrender our skill set to automation, the more we lose that skill set. You have to be very careful about that really good example would be physical world, taking the stairs instead of an elevator. The more that you take the elevator and the less you take the stairs, you slowly lose the ability to climb those stairs. And if you don't think that that's a true thing, you probably haven't hit your 40s yet. Um, Number two, this harkens back, this is the latest one I put on there because of prepping for today's episode, is the cyber insurance Being back at the federal level, I'm intrigued about this. I think that there's going to be some more um, action on this. Now, I don't agree that there should be like a bailout per se, but if it can be backed sort of like the FDIC backs um, insured um, FI accounts, uh, financial institution accounts, um, the FDIC and the NCUA and the OCC. then yes, I could see that because because what's going to end up happening there, because here's what happened in the financial services world when those regulators got involved. They then had skin in the game. And that's why banks and credit unions from an information security and technology perspective, they're examined usually on an annual basis, sometimes not as frequent depending upon their risk level, but they're examined, which is basically a very detailed audit on all of their processes because the FDIC and other regulators, if their insured institution gets dinged and loses money, well, then they lose money. And so they have, as I said before, skin in the game. Interesting to see that advancement in 2023 for cyber insurance. Number three, CMMC ramp up. They, we're all seeing a lot about this right now. If you're in the consulting space, you're getting more and more requests from organizations that do business with the United States federal government to get them ready for CMMC. I believe it's May of next year when it'll start being included in contracts. I don't know the exact details behind that. Um, but you're going to see more and more because folks are going to become more surprised about it, that they're doing something for the federal government and they haven't been asked for this yet. And then there'll be, not sure what CMMC is or even 800-171. So that's going to be a big growth in 2023. Um, And then I think that there's going to be number four, somewhat related, a widening division between virtual CISOs and the types of virtual CISOs out there. Now, those of you who have listened to me for some time, you know, I'm A traditionalist there for the most part, I don't believe that you can be an effective virtual CISO unless you have been a CISO beforehand or have significant risk management experience or have been adequately trained by someone in an apprenticeship type role who has done that before. You cannot just slap the CISO on your resume or LinkedIn page and be effective. And unfortunately, we've seen over the years where some MSSPs and even some independent folks, they'll just slap that up there. And unfortunately, they're not doing the business a service. Businesses are starting to catch on about that. And this is where the divide is going to increase. Um, We've seen it within VCSO where folks that maybe we lost out initially on the bid have come back to us sometimes three years later because they realize that the folks that they had partnered with, they were VCSO in name only. They didn't really have that experience of building security programs, didn't have that risk management experience, really didn't have that holistic view. They were more concerned about firewall rules and SIM logging and all that. So I think the division between VCSO groups is going to increase. I think that there's going to be more specialization there. And I think you're going to see the separation from just like you've seen in the law for in the legal world, those that really are solid in, in their practice and those who are kind of fly by night. Number four, and somewhat related, quality will win out over quantity. I'm not exactly sure how to really encapsulate that further, except that I think we're going to see, like, for example, with monitoring systems, we, we talk about overload or sprawl where there's just so many different systems out there and you don't know what's monitoring them, what you've got overlap, you've got gap. Um, but the reason why I thought about this was actually something that my mother said not long ago, we were having a discussion talking about years past and all of that. Um, my mother, uh, raised myself and my two brothers solo. She was a single mom in the, Um, early 70s. We were very, very young, obviously, at that time. And she was very sad that she couldn't spend as much time as she wanted to with her sons. And a close friend of her at one point in time said to her, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. And I've taken that as a direction for 2023 and i think we're going to see that more applied in the it security world as well too it's not the quantity of tools that you have out there it's the quality of the tools it's not the quantity of the people that you have working for you it's the quality of the skill set of the folks that are working to make the mission happen and then finally um i talked a little bit about the podcast about Flipper Zero. I, I've gotten this little thing. Uh, I've, I've had a little bit of fun with it about cloning things and all of that. And, and, and that's kind of cool. And I've only scratched the surface. But one of the things that it made me think about more was um, radio frequencies, RF. And, and you know, in, in security, we have what we call a clean desk policy. What you want to do with a clean desk policy is to ensure that you're not exposing confidential information to anyone who comes walking to the office that can see through a window or the cleaning folks or what have you. You all know that. It's nothing new. I think we might see some increased regulatory um, attention on clean RF environments, like a clean desk environment. In other words, having the responsibility of doing some radio frequency scans and to see that you don't have anything leaking out. In fact, we're going to be talking about that on um, Monday with our um, first episode of the new year, talking with Dave Evangelista, who not only has extensive experience in IT and information security in the financial services world, but he's also been in law enforcement And is very much uh, aware of this radio frequency threat. And it was when I was talking with him when we were recording that episode that I had that epiphany that, yeah, businesses maybe should do a little bit more with regards to understanding their radio frequency environment. So what do you think? You think those predictions will come true? You think that they're garbage? I have no idea. I just kind of felt left out because everybody else was making predictions. And I thought that I wanted to do the same. We'll find out. But until then, I want to wish you a very, very happy new year. And my wishes for you for the next year are prosperity and happiness. And until Monday, stay secure.